When my wife and I were first married, we lived in western Pennsylvania, and uh, we lived about 20 minutes from a ski resort. And about 20 minutes on the other side of that ski resort lived my outlaws. (laughs) In-laws. Excuse me. Just a little term of endearment. And uh, so what we would do all winter long, which in western Pennsylvania is about nine months, uh, we would meet at the ski resort... Uh, on a weeknight, and we'd ski together as family, and it was really cool. And usually it was my wife and I, and my father-in-law is uh, an avid skier. He's a ski instructor. He's great. And uh, then a friend of ours named Mike would come quite frequently. Mike was an uh, all-American linebacker. He's a very large, large guy, um, which is important for later in the story. Uh, so we would go, and we would ski and have a blast together. And one night in particular, we were skiing down the hill, and um, my wife's in front because she's the best one, and, and she gets to the bottom, and she turns around, and I ski down behind her, and I get to the bottom, and I turn around, and we look up, and, and there's my father-in-law just making perfect turns on the hill, carving it out. And he comes down, and, and right in front of us, and he just launches into this story that he's been telling us on the lift on the way up, and uh, just he's been talking to us a lot. That's what he does, telling us this story. And his back is to the hill. And so as he's telling us this story, I look up and I see Mike coming down the hill. Now, Mike is not carving beautifully, checking his speed, right? Mike is skis straight coming down the hill. Now, I'll give you a little math equation. Um, Giant linebacker plus straight skis and gravity equals runaway freight train, all right? This is what's coming down the hill. Now, I'm listening to my father-in-law, but I'm, I'm still checking on Mike, and he is just flying. And, and Mike's a good skier, and in my mind, he's going to turn. In my mind, he's going to, you know, do one of those hockey stops and spray us all with snow. But he keeps coming. And the more that he's coming, the more I'm losing focus on this story. And the more I'm like, here he comes, here he comes, here he comes, here he comes, here he comes. I thought, maybe I should say something. Seems like the right thing to do. But surely Mike is going to turn. He hits my father-in-law straight on. Boom. Honest to goodness, the skis never moved. They stayed in the snow exactly where they were. But Mike and my father-in-law just went flying, right? And I'm torn at that moment. I'm torn between laughter Like you would be, because, you know, this is the guy that tried to kill me off when I was dating his daughter. (laughs) And so, yeah, you get that. And the fact that I have to spend holidays with him. So there has to be some sense of compassion. So I go over and and, uh, I'm like, Gene, Gene, are you okay? Are you okay? And he's like, what happened? (laughs) What happened? Have you ever had one of those moments, one of those what happened moments? One of those I didn't see that coming moments, right? Where you feel like something just comes and just plows you over and you're left saying, what happened? You've probably had a similar experience in your life and it probably didn't happen on skis, but it probably happened at work or in some type of relationship or with your family. That moment where you're just like, I didn't see that coming. And and those are unexpected moments. But if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times... Our I didn't see that coming moments are because we have our head down and we're so focused in our own little world that we don't look up and see the big picture. We get caught in the details of what's going around us. And and other people are like, wow, the train's coming. And we're just focused here where we are. I want to show you this video, kind of illustrate my point again here. This we've got a lovely couple here at the coast. 
he's about to pop the question, right? She gets excited. You can see he's not pulling a breath man out of his pocket. It's the ring box. And here it comes. And, and he's all prepared to get one knee wet for the woman he loves. We all know what's coming, right? <laughs> we know what's coming. But somehow, he's just in his world. He's got his plans made. He's got this perfect moment going. It's just him and his future fiance, and they're the only important people in the world. And what could go wrong with his story? And, and, and I question it and I go, how could you be so close to something so huge and not realize that the wave is coming? Let's uh, watch the end of this because that's why you came here. Here we go. Boom. Boom. Oh, yes. <laughs> a lovely dismount, right? So great. So great. He didn't even lose the ring. It's amazing. It just got swept away. And, and what a story. But, but how could you not know that, right? How could you not be keyed in on the bigger picture? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about the bigger picture as it relates to Jesus and, and what the people around Jesus sometimes thought the big picture was and what Jesus actually knew the big picture was. We're continuing on in our series entitled Live It as we just kind of walk through the book of Mark. And uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2 today. So if you want to turn there, if you want to grab one of the Bibles out of the uh, pew there, it's on page 1575. Now, in chapter 1, we see battle lines being drawn between Jesus and Satan. And Jesus is out preaching the good news. He's out preaching repent and belief. And in chapter 2, we see battle lines being drawn between Jesus and the religious establishment. You see, chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3 have these five conflicts between Jesus and the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees. All right? Now, Pharisee literally means separated ones. And, and these men were extremely devoted to the law. But not necessarily the law as it's written in Scripture. They were devoted to the law as they added to it. You see, they took God's law and they kept adding commandment after commandment after commandment after commandment. And they began to focus on all of the commandments that they had added and Jesus comes along and he, he threatens their power and he challenges their authority. He questions their teaching and he kind of tramples on the way that they were living. And he did this because the Pharisees were just focused on this small little picture of keeping this rigid set of rules. And Jesus is like, no way, there's something so much bigger than that going on. But they were going to miss it because they were focused on the small. The, the wave was coming. The wave was going to wash over them, but they were going to miss it. You see, the important truth in that is, is what we believe about Jesus must be conformed to who he is, not who we think he should be. And, and that's why they were missing it. They had this picture in their mind, but they needed to understand it. That what, what we believe about Jesus has to be based on the reality of who he is, not who we create him to be, not who we think he should be, not how we think he should act, who Jesus really is. And so this morning, we're going to focus on two stories in Mark chapter 2. In both stories, we have, we have someone having an encounter 
with Jesus. And Jesus is inviting them into the bigger picture. And Jesus, he's inviting them into the fullness of Christ. And then on the outside of both of these stories, we have the Pharisees who just aren't getting it. And we kind of want to look and see where we find ourselves in these stories. At the end of chapter one, we've got Jesus doing miracles and so many people kind of crowding around him that he had to kind of escape out into the wilderness. And after several days, he returns back. It says, uh, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. And so if we can kind of picture this scene in our mind and, and start by picturing this, this house, and the house of the arrow would probably be a house that, that had a flat roof and some exterior steps that went up to that. It was a place where you could go in the cool of the morning or the cool of the evening to get out of kind of the heat of the house, right? So this flat-roofed house, and, and Jesus is inside, and he's bringing the word, and it's just packed. It's crowded. It's, it's standing room only, and, and people are bumping stuff off the end tables and tracking stuff in the house and, and spilling coffee on the robe of the person in front of them as they're jockeying for a position to hear Jesus, and little kids are kind of weaving in and out of the adult's legs to kind of get up front to see what all the commotion is about and, and hoping maybe that they're serving fruit snacks or something, and, and Jesus is bringing the word, right, and then all of a sudden they hear a noise. They hear a sound on the roof. And it's, well, there's people up there. Well, that sounds like a shovel. And then the dust would, would start falling around Jesus and the people closest to him. And of course, that would draw everybody's attention to the roof. And then all of a sudden, wait, you can see light through the roof. And little by little, this skylight grew. And the guy who owned the house is on the phone with his insurance agent going, seriously? People are digging a hole in my roof. Right? And Jesus pauses as this man comes down through the roof and rests right before him. Now, we're going to talk about the paralyzed man, and we're going to talk about the reaction of the Pharisees, but for just a minute, let's talk about these friends. Because this paralyzed man had good friends. He had friends that knew something good would happen if they could just get him in front of Jesus. And I think that true friends do what it takes to bring their friends to Jesus. That they found this creative solution. They were determined they weren't going to let something stop them. And I'm sure that they could have had a million excuses like, whoa, it's too crowded. Or, whoa, we're going to get sued for making a skylight. Or what if we fall through the roof? Or what if the rope breaks? Or what if this guy lands on Jesus' head? What if Jesus rebukes us? What if we invite our friends to church and they don't like it? What if they ask us questions that we don't understand? What if this drives a wedge between us and our friendship and they won't talk to me anymore? What if I drive them away from Jesus instead of to Jesus? We all have these excuses, but the important thing about these friends is they were like, something good is going to happen if I just get them in front of Jesus. We put so much pressure on ourselves to kind of do the work that Jesus is supposed to do that we shy away from those situations. But all of us have that person in our lives that has kind of brought us to the feet of Jesus. 
And we should long to be that person in the lives of other people. And maybe just as an aside this morning, you would pray, okay, who's that friend that would be great for me to just bring to Jesus in some way or another? See, all of us have a corner of the mat that we could be holding, something that we could be doing. And you know, it's, it's great because when, when Jesus looks, it says that he was impressed with their faith. He was impressed with the faith of these four friends as they brought this man to him. The faith that we have of just trusting that if we get our friends in front of Jesus, something good is going to happen. Verse 5, it says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. And this is at the point of the story that it goes like, because I'm like, wait a second, you're the guy. You're like, well, okay, so I'm on a mat being lowered through the ceiling. My legs don't work. It's pretty obvious what needs to happen here. I appreciate the sin piece, but right, this is my need. But Jesus was looking at the big picture. You see, the wave was about to wash over this guy. Because Jesus knew something that this man didn't know. That he had a much bigger problem than just his physical condition. You see, the issue wasn't necessarily the suffering. The deeper issue was the sin. And so Jesus is pointing out the bigger picture. But think about the paralytic man for a minute. Like, what's going through his head? He's thinking, man, if I could just get my legs back, it would be good. That's, that's why I'm here. I, I, I want to walk. I want to run. I want to dance. I want to play soccer. I want to ride my bike. I want to do all these great things that I need my legs for. If you would just give me my legs back, then I'd be happy. Then I wouldn't complain. And then life would be Good, but as harsh as it sounds, the paralysis is a surface thing compared to the deeper need. See, because what would happen if Jesus healed him and then six months or a year later he finds himself once again profoundly empty with the ability to walk around? Jesus was going to the deeper need, it's so much bigger than the surface things. See, Jesus says, If you come to me, I will fulfill you. And if you fail me, I will forgive you. That is deeper than those things. But how often do we want a need met in our own lives, thinking that it will solve our problems? Think of the things that we ask for sometimes. You know, we want that job promotion, which is fine. We we want this relationship to be right. We want uh, this certain possession, maybe. We want this plaque on the wall that signifies our achievements. But we look for those things too often to fulfill us. We look for those things maybe even to save us. But Jesus says it's so much bigger than so many of the things that you're asking for. He says, come to me, I will fulfill you. I will forgive you. You see, Jesus, he goes deeper for us when we don't see it, when we can't express it, when we can't even comprehend it. Jesus has the power to give us what we want right now. But he has the wisdom and compassion to give us what we need. To speak to those deeper issues. Parents, you know what it's like when your kids always are coming and like, I want this. This is what I want, right? I took my kids to the circus one time, and my oldest daughter was like, I want to be a trapeze artist. Now, what if me as a parent would have been like, oh, that's awesome. 
we're going to sell all your stuff and we're going to send you to <clears throat> circus school. I don't know what it's called. Trapeze school, right? And then for the 12 seconds that she was there and liked it, she'd be like, this is great. But then she'd be like, Dad, I watched a movie about cars. I want to race cars now. Nope, sorry. That's what she wanted, right? Sometimes our wants aren't exactly our deepest needs. <laughs> My daughter, after that experience, wanted to be a horse. <clears throat> I don't know what to do with that. You see, God didn't come to be our wish granter. He didn't come to be our banker. He didn't come to be our Santa Claus. He didn't come even so much to be our ally as he came to be our savior because that's the deepest need that we have. That's the bigger picture issue here. You see, the man was lowered down and he was probably only thinking about his legs and Jesus spoke to the deep need inside of him. And he offered forgiveness. Now it says that some of the teachers of religious law, some of the Pharisees, some of the scribes who were sitting there thought to themselves. So they're thinking, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. So the Pharisees were there because they were trying to investigate Jesus. They were trying to figure out what he was doing wrong so that they could discredit him and so that they could trap him. And in my mind, I have them sitting, you know, somewhere not too close to Jesus to add their approval, but close enough to Jesus so that they could criticize. And and they were looking for this opportunity because he was speaking blasphemy. For this person to say he could forgive sins was blasphemy, right? Right? It was against God. Only God can forgive sins, right? When you sin, you usually sin against a person and against God. Let's say that I came out there and I punched you in the face. I wouldn't do that. It would hurt my hand. If I punch you in the face, and then let's say Robin over here, she came over and she said, Brian, I forgive you for punching them in the face. Wouldn't you be like, whoa, (laughs) how come she gets to forgive? You punched me in the face. It's against me, and it's against God. And so the Pharisees were looking at that, and they're saying, well, none of this is against you. You're just a man. That's blasphemy what you're saying. How in the world can you say that? That was the issue that they had. They couldn't see who Jesus was. Now, verse 8, it says, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asks them this question, which is great. I love when, when Jesus answers people's thoughts out loud, right? Because at a certain point, they were like, wait, we didn't say that. I think I just thought that. Did I say that out loud? Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he says, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? Now, this is a tough question, really. Because on the surface, it seems like the easier thing to say would be your sins are forgiven. Because when you say your sins are forgiven, you don't need any kind of proof of that, right? Your sins are forgiven. There's, there's no visual evidence to anything like that. It seems like the more difficult thing would be to say, pick up your mat and walk. Because you would have to see that visible power of this healing. That would be the tougher thing. But you know what? Even this statement is bigger. Even this statement is deeper. You know, Jesus is saying, I'm not... Just some miracle worker. Any miracle worker could say, stand up, take your mat, and go home. Jesus is saying, I'm your savior. And it is going to be infinitely more difficult 
to bring about the forgiveness of sins than you can possibly imagine. That's the bigger picture. You see, only one could be the perfect, spotless sacrifice that would take away the sins of the world. You see, the road that Jesus was going to walk down is the most difficult road ever walked. So what is it harder to do? Is it harder to say, here's the healing, or is it harder to be the one that offers these, this forgiveness of sins? Verse 10 says, so I will prove that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praising God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. And it is so cool that Jesus heals him and he just pops up. And then Jesus sends him home. Which is interesting, right? But Jesus sends him home because the message is more important. Because there's a bigger picture here. You know, in my mind, I'm like, no, you keep that guy around. You're like, listen, wait in the corner. When the congregation starts falling asleep, you pull the guy out that you just healed, have him stand in front of everybody again, dance a little bit. He dances. I did that. Pay attention to me, right? See, that's, that's in my mind. I'm like, that's what you do. You keep that guy around that you just healed because it helps, you know? People are going to be like, oh, that's the healer guy. Well, it wasn't about being the healer guy. It was about the gospel. It was about the good news. It was about the message. That's why Jesus was always like, go home and don't tell. Don't tell other people. Be quiet, just, just go home. During the Civil Rights Movement, a photographer from Life Magazine visited Selma, Alabama, and he was trying to get some pictures of this movement. He was trying to tell a story with his lens about what was going on in Alabama at the time. And one afternoon, as he was out uh, looking to take some pictures, he saw a local policeman kind of roughing up some teenage guys. And so he put his camera down and he walked over and he got in the middle of the fray and kind of calmed down the policeman and he kind of got the boys separated and sent off home. And when Dr. King heard about this, he didn't praise the photographer, he reprimanded the photographer. Martin Luther King said this, the world doesn't know this happened because you didn't photograph it. I'm not being cold-blooded about it, but it is so much more important for you to take a picture of us getting beat up than for you to be another person joining the fray. See, he knew that the bigger picture was the message. The bigger picture was Jesus was inviting us into his glory, into his heart, into his fullness. Right? Dr. King wasn't trying to be callous, and he was saying, yeah, there's some physical stuff going on here, but the message has to get out. You see, the healing was just a small part for this paralyzed man. The good news is, is that he went home whole. He went home with his sins forgiven. The wave had washed over him. That's what Jesus wants to do in our encounters with him. And that's why he says right off the bat, your sins are forgiven. That's the deep need. The word forgiven, it means to, to leave, to let go, to give up this debt to send it away from you. It, it means that the law is satisfied. It means that the penalty for the sin has been paid. That, that we don't get what we deserve. That these things can no longer be held against us. That the guilt caused by that is replaced with the righteousness of Christ. If Jesus had just healed this man's legs, he would have been good 
for a season. We don't even know how long he would have been good for. He would have been able to walk. But Jesus saw the bigger picture. And he spoke to the bigger need and he spoke to the man's heart and the Pharisees couldn't see it. They couldn't see it because they were so caught up in their way of living and in their rules and what they thought everything was gonna look like. One more story. Verse 13 of chapter two. Jesus went out to the lake shore again. He taught the crowds that were coming to him and as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector booths. Now Levi is Matthew, who wrote the first book of the New Testament and he was a tax collector, all right? He worked for Rome, the oppressor of the Jews. And it was his job to collect taxes for Rome. So what he would do is he would sit at the busiest street in town, probably close to the edge of town, and when merchants would come through, when people would pass through, he would collect taxes from them, coming and going, and he would have a tax booth that sat up high, elevated, so that everybody would see him, everybody knew who he was. And what he would do was he would take the taxes for Rome, and then he was given authority to kind of collect above and beyond for himself. And he would line his pockets and become wealthy from these poor, oppressed people, right? Now, a Jew who was a tax collector was excommunicated from the synagogue, right? He was shamed by his family and his friends, all right? To take this job meant that you valued money over your reputation, your respectability, and your purity before God. It was this kind of treasonous act to be a Jew and then go work for Rome. And so you were just shunned by everybody else, all right? That's who Matthew is. And Jesus comes along and he says, follow me and be my disciple. Levi got up and followed him. Jesus was calling him into something bigger. Jesus was calling him to leave behind some stuff. I mean, think about what he was leaving behind. He was leaving behind his livelihood. He was leaving behind his, his income source. He was leaving behind his, his uh, tax collector buddies. But Jesus was calling him into something infinitely larger. And as I was reading this this past week, I was thinking, Jesus, what did you do with, with this tax collector? How did that affect the unity of your disciples, right? Because I'm sure that they thought the same thing about this tax collector that the general population did, especially the one in your disciples you called the zealot. He would have hated the tax collector. Jesus didn't do much for group unity. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. (laughs) which is great. I don't know what that means exactly. I don't know if there are other kind of sinners except for disreputable sinners. But it sounds like a party, right? It says there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Jesus had a lot of disreputable sinners follow him around. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, rather tactfully, why does he eat with such scum? Right? That's their question. Once again, kind of on the outside, looking in. Matthew just got invited to follow and be a disciple. And the Pharisees were like, why does Jesus eat with such scum? Because, see, the rules that they had, as the rules read, you could not 
eat with a sinner. Because if you went and ate with a sinner, you would walk away a sinner. Which in my mind means, boy, you're eating alone a lot, right? But here's what they said. You, know, you couldn't walk away and not be tainted by the sinner. And Jesus was saying, guess what? People are going to come in contact with me. I'm not the one that's going to change. They are. They're the ones that are going to walk away changed by their encounter with me. But the Pharisees just couldn't see it. To them, Jesus was breaking the law. But here's the deal. Jesus wasn't breaking the law as the Old Testament writes it. Jesus was breaking the law as the Pharisees wrote it. He wasn't breaking God's law. He was breaking their laws. And so many of the interactions that he has with them, and so many of the things that are like, well, you shouldn't be doing this, are things that they made up themselves. They were stuck in their rigid system of living and they couldn't see the big picture and so they missed it. They missed it again. We've got two people being invited into the fullness of Christ, into the heart of Jesus and we've got this group of people that stand off to the side because they don't have a true picture of who Jesus is. A.W. Tozer says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's a good question, isn't it? What comes into your mind when you think about Jesus? You see, the Pharisees had a certain way of thinking which, which caused them to get hung up on, on certain things. You see, the Pharisees were all about rules and laws and everything that they added to it in this rigid lifestyle. And Jesus said, no, I've come to free you from living that way. He said, I, I want you to do fruit of the spirit. Against those things, there is no law. You go out and live this way, not with these laws. The Pharisees were all about separating themselves and kind of isolating themselves from anybody they considered a sinner. And Jesus was all about connecting with these people. The Pharisees were so much concerned with what they looked like on the outside. They were so much concerned about the surface. That's why Jesus said that they were whitewashed tombs, that they look good on the outside, but on the inside, just full of dead man's bones. Jesus was about the inside, the depth, the bigger picture. Pharisees were judgmental. Jesus, forgiving. Pharisees were all about punishment. They wanted to punish people for those things. Jesus was about blessing people. Pharisees were so much just concerned with words, the words that they spoke. Now, Jesus had powerful words, but he, he matched them with his actions. Pharisees were very arrogant. The Savior of the world was humble. Pharisees, little picture people. Jesus was about the bigger picture, the bigger issues. The, the Pharisees, they were adding burdens to other people. Jesus was all about releasing the burdens of the people. The Pharisees were all about work for it. You got to work for it. Jesus is about grace. The work has been done by Jesus. We don't work for our own. The Pharisees missed it. And as I look up there... I, I wonder which list reflects my own heart. Because I want to be caught up in, in the bigger picture. I want to be invited into the fullness that is Jesus. But so often I find myself stuck in the, in the rules. 
stuck in being too concerned about the outward surface things of my world, being judgmental, not mixing my words with actions, being small focused, feeling like I have to work for it. And so often I can find myself feeling like, man, I, I can be standing around the edge living this way and not entering into the fullness of who Jesus is. You see, what we believe about Jesus, it has to be conformed to who he is, not who we think he should be. Jesus is inviting you in to the big picture, to the big story, to the fullness of who he is. The worship team is going to come back up and they're going to lead us in a time of communion. And as they do, I just want to remind you that it is so much bigger than we think. It's so much bigger than we think. The price paid for our forgiveness is bigger. The forgiveness offered to us is bigger. The relationship is bigger. The picture is bigger. You see, Jesus says he wants us to come to him. He says, come to me, I will fulfill you. When you fail me, I will forgive you. And so we come to communion this morning, coming to Jesus who is inviting us into his heart. And so I love that, that we get to share a meal together this morning. And I love that uh, we just read a story about Jesus sharing a meal with a bunch of tax collectors and disreputable sinners. And uh, today the part of disreputable sinners will be played by all of us. And so as you come today, know, know that we're sinners, but know that we are offered freedom and forgiveness in the heart of Christ. And we don't want to miss that.